Hello ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the first ever stand-up tragedy. Nice to see you all. I'm very pleased to have you all joining me here downstairs at the Leicester Square Theatre. And my name's Dave and I'll be your host for this evening. What stand-up tragedy other than a catchy line that I came up with and uh, decided to try and make happen? Well, it's a place where people stand up and do tragedy. All kinds of tragedy. Any kind of tragedy. Is it a tragedy that I'm comparing this evening? We'll see. When I told people about stand-up tragedy, they were really excited by the idea. And then I said that I'd be comparing and uh, they'd get this worried look on their face and uh, look a bit worried about it all. And uh, by people, I'm talking about my, my girlfriend and uh, my family, my closest friends, people like that. Um, so you may very well be watching a tragedy right here, uh, right now. But I don't think so. So I think I'm the perfect person for this job. See, I know tragedy pretty intimately. I've always been really attracted to struggle and to failure. And uh, in many ways, you could say that tragedy is kind of my lifestyle choice, really. <laughs> preference. Um, and to get pretentious for a minute, ancient Greek tragedy was a popular art form, giving catharsis as well as tears to its audiences. And that's the shit we currently get from watching celebrities die on TV. Tragic characters on tragic tra trajectories. I knew I was going to get that word wrong. Trajectories. Tricky one. Tragedy is something that humans have always enjoyed. So tonight, for your enjoyment, we have a show that is something between The X Factor and Electra. People will struggle <laughs> and they will fail. Sometimes it will be funny, sometimes it will be sad, but it will always be a tragedy. To kick it all off, I'm going to welcome Hayley onto the stage. So we are the reactionaries and we're going to do a song about the boy who cried wolf. Um, it's from our new album called Bouncy Poppy Songs About Death. Um, we'll hopefully be out in the summer. The animals are coming, yeah they are coming fast. They are gonna kill us so we need to trust. Trust in you, trust in you, trust in you. Shout so he lied to you, he lied to you, he lied to you, he 
I guess you've probably worked out that that wasn't a live recording from the night, but instead a hastily thrown together simulation of the performance. Now, everything can't go right on a first night. That wouldn't be realistic, would it? And the recording quality of these podcasts is definitely something that we'll be working on at future nights. But never mind that. Let's get on with the show. Okay, so next we have some fantastic, well, kind of tragic monologues from... Casual Violence. Uh, check them out at www.casualviolencecomedy.co.uk. There we go. Hi. Hi. Uh, we're from Casual Violence and we've got some characters for you. Uh, this first one is about two people sitting down. <coughs> I miss you, darling. I'm so lonely without you. Sometimes I get so lonely I hug the pillow at night and pretend it's a person. Silly, isn't it? I hug it ever so tightly because, well, I'm afraid to let it go. I hug it so hard it goes thin in the middle and, and fat on each end in the way that pillows tend to do when you squeeze them. You know? Like an hourglass sort of shape. It's how they look. Sometimes, Elizabeth, you'll laugh at this, but sometimes I, I even kiss the pillow goodnight before I go to sleep because I miss you so very, very much. Tad funny, I know, but I, I can't stop myself. I kiss that pillow so tenderly, very, very softly. At first, I, I brush my lips against it like, like a painter would, a, a beautiful work of art. When the lights are off and I close my eyes, it's... It's like caressing your soft skin in the moonlight. Except, admittedly, a little bit more fabric-y, like, like kissing your soft clothes in the moonlight. Don't worry, I, I haven't touched your clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, Elizabeth, when I'm with the pillow, wrapped up beneath the sheets at night, I can almost forget about the world outside. It, it, it's as though the whole universe has been reduced to fit around our bed. The pillow, she understands me in her simple, soft, pillowy way. When I caress her, she yields to my touch. Slowly, softly, gently, my hands explore her many lines, drifting across the curves and the contours of her body until finally my fingers linger on the slit of her pillowcase. You know the bit where you actually put the pillow inside the pillowcase and it folds over? Occasionally there's a button. 
that bit. And before I realize what I'm doing, I, I find myself exploring the, the very inside of her. And I can feel her body twisting and, and writhing and pressing beside me. And before either of us has time to think about what we're doing, I, I, I roll on top of me and bury myself deep inside her. I made a little hole about two inches like this because she needed one. You know, and, and sweat begins to pour from my body, uh, but she soaks it all up uh, like a sexy flannel as we thrust together, harder and deeper with every stroke, and I can feel her feathery insides tickling my shaft, urging me to ride her with a reckless abandon, which I do because because she wants me, and I know that she wants me, and I've finally found a release for all my anger and my hurt and my shame, and I can feel her filling up like a spunky water balloon in my hands. But last night I forgot to change the pillow, and have found of semen and goose feathers exploded all over my lap, leaving me tarred and feathered with the shame of how much I still love you, Elizabeth. I still have the other pillow, but it's not the same. I'm so lonely. Please take me back. No. <laughs> If you liked what you just heard, why not go and see Casual Violence doing their portable residency show on the 27th of February at 7pm at the Etc Theatre, Camden. Entry is only £6.50. Next up, we have Emily Lucen, who I first saw at the True Storytelling Night Spark London. If you live in London, then why not go and see one of their great nights? See www.sparklondon.com for more details. In 2010, I decided to go to the Holy Land. I'm not a religious person. I think I only really seriously contemplated the existence of God um, once, and that's when I was 16 years old, and I was snorkeling in Hawaii, uh, and there was something about the tropical fish that made me kind of want to embrace creationism. You know, I was like, who made these, and why are they so gorgeous? Um, but by the time my flight landed uh, at uh, Los Angeles International Airport, LAX, uh, I, I was pretty convinced once again that God didn't exist. Um, I went to Israel to study Hebrew uh, in preparation for some postgraduate work that I was planning on doing, and my boyfriend at the time, Alex, uh, went on a, on a law exchange. And at the university, they organized for us international students uh, a field trip, um, and it was called Yom Layam, and for those of you who don't speak Hebrew, that means sea to sea, and it was a four-day hike from the Mediterranean Sea to the Sea of Galilee. Um, that's the body of water where Jesus walked uh, apocryphically um, and, and performed other miracles as well. Uh, and it's also not a sea, it, it's a freshwater lake, so it's significant for a number of reasons. Um, and on the very first 10 minutes of this four-day tour, I realized that the theme of the tour was going to be utter state indoctrination. Um, they split us up into a couple of groups, and my group, the students in my group, were predominantly uh, Americans and, and British people. And uh, given the Anglo-centric and kind of mean-spirited nature of our group, uh, the, the one German guy, Matthias, and the one Russian guy, Daniel, were kind of immediately socially outcasted, uh, naturally. Um, and then uh, we had our security guard who walked behind us. He had a Glock in his back pocket, and he um, would eat these peanut butter Cheetos. Um, and I think he actually might have hooked up with one of the girls on the trip. I'm not sure, uh, but hopefully for him. Um, and her, uh, also I think he had PTSD. Uh, he had been a combatant in Gaza 
and his favorite expression in English was, this is boring. Um, then there was our tour leader, and she was this middle-aged woman, and she was the most earnest Zionist I have ever encountered. She hearted Zion, and, and her, her love for Israel manifested itself in her love um, for, for nature, um, Israeli nature particularly. And we, we would stop along the way, and she would just give us some light botany or you know, some, some casual geology talks. And interspersed with these nature talks were political discussions. Um, and she framed them as Israeli dilemmas. And this is where the state ideology really started to insert itself into the trip. Um, so basically, she would give us some sort of situation in Israeli politics, and she'd let us debate it. Uh, and then she'd end every single one of these sessions by saying, you know, your side isn't right, and your side isn't right either. It's dilemma. Um, which, <laughs> as a paradigm, didn't really work for me because often these quote-unquote dilemmas were just kind of bad things, um, sort of morally wrong situations. You know, so she asked us, should Israel have bombed Gaza? Um, and everyone else in the group was like, hells yes, and me and Alex were like, no, that's a terrible thing to do, and, and just based on the fact that there was no consensus, uh, Gilly happily concluded that it was a dilemma. Um, and the more these dilemmas got kind of violent and socially repulsive um, and morally unambiguous, the more Alex and I got a little bit argumentative, and the more the group started bonding over hating us. Uh, and I even hated us a little bit too, because you know we were like those annoying, self-righteous people who like talked about the Geneva Conventions and stuff, and, and no one likes those people. <laughs> um, and so we were very quickly outcasted uh, with the, the German guy and the Russian guy, which was quite convenient, because every night we stayed in the cabin with, with four bunk beds, or four beds, two bunk beds, and so we actually needed, uh, you know, at least two other friends, and so we kind of bonded together, the four of us, and um, on the very last night of the trip, Alex and I decided to have a little meet and greet in the shower. Um, and uh, it wasn't a shower in kind of the orthodox sense, it was more like political asylum, you know, because for the first time on the trip, no one was really judging us, and no one was rolling their eyes, and um, no one hated our guts. And I think this sense of freedom really made us a bit raucous, and we kind of frolicked in, in the water, um, despite the fact that Gilly, just earlier that day, had given us this lecture on how there's a shortage of fresh water in Israel, and we should protect the Sea of Galilee. And <laughs> for two and a half hours, we drained the Sea of Galilee. And, um, and the thing with showers is you kind of think that the, the water is going to drown out your, your voices, but it actually just kind of makes you do obnoxious things even louder. And um, by the time we, we left uh, the shower, we realized that we had flooded our cabin, and um, we had woken up uh, our, our Russian and German friends, and um, they were pretty mad at us. And on the very last night of the trip, we had managed to alienate our very last two political allies. Um, and we still had one day to get through. But as fate would have it, on that very last day of the trip, something happened that diverted all of the negative attention away from us uh, to someone else. Um, and we were in a banana plantation a few kilometers away from the Sea of Galilee when, when Gilly took a wrong turn and, and she got us lost. And um, we, we probably could have just backtracked and, and, and gone the other way. Um, but at this point, all the other groups were at the Sea of Galilee waiting uh, for us to start the ceremony. So they have to send a tour bus to come and pick us up. And uh, for me and, and for Alex and, and probably for the PTSD security guard, 
we weren't too upset about this. I think we were just happy that the tour was, was almost over. But for the group, this whole getting lost had been this transformative experience. And they went from being kind of like an apathetic group of assholes to like this sentimental lynch mob. It was just like, yang leyang, you know, no cheating. And uh, the tour bus ended up letting us off uh, just a few meters away from, from the gate so we could kind of inconspicuously walk uh, through the park as if we had completed the, the whole trip. And when we arrived at the Sea of Galilee, all the groups were waiting for us and there were tables, uh, Prosecco and delicious food. And, um, and we had this ceremony where basically we take these uh, water bottles that were full of salt water from the, from the Mediterranean and we empty them into the Sea of Galilee, thus signifying that we'd walked from one sea to the other uh, and also contaminating the freshwater. <laughs> um, but that's okay. Anyway, so I went to the bathroom to put on my bathing suit, uh, jcrew.com. I got it online. Um, and the problem with buying bathing suits online is that you can't try them on. Uh, so I got a small because I'm short. Uh, but I think probably a medium would have covered even more of my pubes and <laughs> some of my areolas as well. Um, <laughs> I was adjusting my suit, trying to achieve minimal embarrassment when I heard sobbing in the stall beside me. Uh, and it was Gilly, and she was just so upset because she felt like she had let down the whole group, and she also felt like she had let down. Israel itself, you know, because she didn't know its geography as innately as she loved it. And I found myself comforting Gilly and telling her how awesome the trip had been, even though it sucked. I mean, what would you guys have done, right? And um, I was like, Gilly, let's just go grab some Prosecco. And um, in that moment, you know, I was standing there, all my sort of self-righteous ideas about peace and my despicably protruding pubic hair. And, and um, you know, in that moment, I think I was one of the most sympathetic people on that trip. But as a Jew, I think I was probably the worst one she had ever met. Um, and I must have seemed like kind of a walking contradiction. But to Gilly, she had a space in her mind, especially reserved for contradictory things that she didn't really want to contemplate. And in that moment, I think I became her most newly minted Israeli dilemma. <laughs> and in that capacity, we walked out of the bathroom together, and we drank some Prosecco, and we went swimming where Jesus walked. Thank you. If you like that story, then why not look out for a long-form conversation between me and Emily on my other podcast, Getting Better Acquainted. It's coming out Tuesday, kind of a Valentine's special, I guess, but not particularly Valentine's related. You can find that on www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk. We've had a tragedy of our own this week, as our website was attacked and infected by malicious malware. I'd like to thank Stephen Harvey, who also does all the tech stuff at our show, for healing our wounded whale of a site. Thanks also to Sam Judah, who set up the website in the first place and came back in for one last mission this week. And to Jenny Adamthwaite, who spent her time lying in her sickbed, backing up and checking everything from the website for us and making it all better, even as she got sicker and sicker. Starting in March, we'll be thanking contributors to our Indiegogo campaign during this section of the show. It's one of the great perks that you can get for making a contribution. It's a campaign I've set up partly so I can pay the performers that you've been listening to. Stand Up Tragedy is an independent show. With audiences like we had on Monday, we'll break even. But I want to pay the performers for their work. 
With your contributions, that will be possible. If you want to contribute in a different way, you might want to buy some of our overpriced print-on-demand merchandise. We have hoodies, t-shirts, bags, and even, weirdly, underwear and dog coats. You can find out about the Indiegogo campaign and the merchandise and all that and more on our website, www.standuptragedy.co.uk. There's details there about all of the future events and acts and there's links to people's stories and there's going to be all sorts of content on there. So keep on going back. It's safe now. The malware has been vanquished. And we're being tragic all over your webs. You can find us on Facebook, on SoundCloud, on the Stitcher Smart Radio app, through iTunes, and even on Twitter at Stand Up For Tragedy, the number four. Someone stole our name. Our next live show will be at the Leicester Square Theatre on Monday, the 5th of March. Tickets are available. Use the promo code TRAGIC 